0: Welcome to Creative Peacemail Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tami Takeishi. Mm-hmm. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Welcome to another episode of Creative Piecemeal Podcast. We are celebrating music here in the month of March, and I'm so very excited to have composer and shakuhachi soloist Sean Head. Sean Head has an active career as a shakuhachi soloist, along with being a composer and educator. He studied at the prestigious Cleveland Institute of Music and became the youngest non Japanese shakuhachi master at 23. Head emphasizes the possibilities and coherence between Eastern and Western ideas, mixing the aesthetics and sensibilities of Japanese music with a Western musical framework. In 2019, he received the distinct honor of becoming an OSS Thai Shogun for his work in traditional Japanese music. He has toured worldwide and collaborated with various artists, including members of the Houston Symphony, Susanna Campbell of So Duo, and the Westheimer String Quartet. Head currently performs on eight flutes specifically crafted for him by revered flute maker Yozan Hikichi. As a person with Japanese heritage myself, I'm especially excited and honored to have Sean Head on the show. And I must admit, your music and your interest in the Japanese culture has made me appreciate my own culture and background more and become more interested in learning more about you know my family and that side of my history, because growing up in the U.S., it's not really something I learned as much as I wanted to. So I feel like I'm making up for lost time. Like every time I watch your videos or share them with my father or look at your posts and listen to your music, I feel like I'm reconnecting with that part of myself. And also, it's been a really nice way to reconnect with my father. So thank you for that. I appreciate that.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. First off, and um, thank you so much for that those kind words. I think that is a probably the nicest compliment I've ever received that this idea of not only just connecting with your, your heritage, but the fact that you get to connect with your father more and create relationships. I think that's the essence of shakuhachi and the essence of music in general is to bring us together and make us closer. So thank you so much for that. that was a uh, really moving. Thank you.
0: Well, you're welcome. And, well, thank you. Like I said, it's, it's just been so nice to be able to connect with with my dad that way. So, and then, you know, being able to suddenly talk about um, his life in Japan. So it makes me want to go visit Japan even more. And you recently settled there so how how is how is it? How's the weather? Um,
1: well, we just have a, we have a nice heat wave happening right now, and of course we're recording this earlier uh, than than the actual post date. But it is uh, it was recently really really cold, and so and we live in an, uh, a house that's over hundred years old, so insulation is not yet a thing on old Japanese homes. So the mornings are very cold, and uh, you know you really feel the seasons, as they say.
0: But I bet it's totally worth it for all that beautiful scenery.
1: Yes, I have a, we have a private Japanese garden uh, in front of our house. And uh, this house that we live in is actually our, our great-grandfathers uh, who built it in an early Taisho.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And what a wonderful way to um, keep it in the family and connect with your, the heritage there of, of your new family there.
1: Oh, yes. And it's it's so much fun. And they're they're really excited that we're putting all the work into. It's it's not easy and it's not cheap, but uh, fixing the old home up and doing all the work is is really rewarding at the end of the day.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks for telling us a little bit about your home. Um, one of the first questions I always ask the musicians is who or what inspired you to become a musician?
1: So actually, uh, it's a very roundabout way of how it all because it wasn't just necessarily one person. But I think that it would be the person who pushed me and inspired me to do it would be my sister. And my sister, she was the one who first got me an instrument when I was a kid. She got me my first guitar. And uh, I remember I couldn't play it at all. I mean, and it was one of those like first act instruments. You know, they're like, they're crappy. And, you know, I was like five. I I mean, I wasn't going to become like, I wasn't going to be playing music Seriously, I didn't have a teacher or anything like that. I just I just strummed on the thing as loud as I could, and uh, but yeah, she she would keep pushing me um, later on in life to actually take formal lessons and learn how to play like actual rock songs. Um, and she really inspired me to want to become like a really good rock musician. So my first song actually was the Blitzkrieg Bot by the Ramones, and like I will be honest, once I was able to play that, I thought I was the coolest kid ever. Like there was no equivalent to anybody at my age, or any age for that matter, because I could play the blitzkrieg bop. It is such a good song, <laughs> and it's just three chords. And it's not even full chords. They're all gotta power
0: love chords. those power just, chords, right? Par-
1: just parallel fifths everywhere. So
0: obviously after guitar you moved on to other yes. instruments. How did you decide on Shakuhachi and per- Prior to that, you know, violin and things like when that. When
1: I was in elementary school, it was a requirement to do an instrument um, or choir. And I definitely didn't want to do choir because I didn't like the choir teacher. And uh, so I started up with the viola. And viola was an on and off thing. And I chose it because no one else chose it. And I was like, well, if no one else can show it, I want to be different. I want to be edgy. And so I chose the instrument. And then it would be something that I was on and off for years where I'd play it and stop it and play it and stop it and play it and stop. It and it and stop. Um, but I had a teacher who uh, his name is, uh, is T.J. Hall, and he still works at the high school too, at the Franklin High School in um, uh, Franklin, Wisconsin. And he was just my inspiration for wanting to get into classical music and also wanting to compose as well. Uh, he, he himself is a composer and a wonderful Irish fiddle player. Uh, So he also does, you know, world music. And I mean, he was just kind of like the embodiment of like, oh, yeah, like this is the kind of person I want to be. A really great teacher, a really great performer, a really great composer and just a really good guy. Uh, And from there, I met um, members of Milwaukee Symphony and I was inspired to just compose my own music and go to college and do that. When I was in college, I had an injury in my lower back, just uh, cartilage is basically I was playing way too much. And I was playing with really bad technique, especially on my lower back. And so I'd have my my hips pushed forward and it was putting all the pressure um, right up on my, on my lower spine. And from there, I just I couldn't play anymore. I couldn't play without like absolute pain. So I had to stop doing the viola and I decided that I wanted to go to a conservatory. I wanted to be more in the conservatory environment. I wasn't good enough as a violist to make it in that area anyway. So I thought, you know, I'll just do composition. That's more than enough for me well, ended up that that wasn't true. Uh, I really started to feel lonely. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to play music with other people. And I wanted to have that, that connection with the audience member, and just connection with people in general, because the composer is usually locked in a room with a with four walls and a door that has no window on it. And you just sit at the piano, and you just write, 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 but you're always by yourself. And as in As a such a, as a person who just loves to be around other people, loves to talk. I like going to like, you know, I love having small parties at my house. That just doesn't work for me, which is ironic because I pick an instrument that the most of the music is all solo music, but I'm still able to go and be on stage and communicate with my audience members. So that finding that shakuhachi, um, when I was traveling in Asia, that was the moment where I was like, you know, this could be my outlet in to, to make music.
0: You know, it seems almost like it was a destiny, you know, your journey, finding your way through the different avenues of music and what you wanted to do and finding your way to the shakuhachi or maybe the shakuhachi found you.
1: I I definitely think that it was the shakuhachi chose me because I didn't want to be a professional shakuhachi player. That wasn't like my my thought process. I I was like, you know, I'm just going to use this as my kind of fun thing to do on the side and it's gonna all learning all this music's gonna inspire me to write more and it's actually been the complete flip I I, I almost like I play like eight hours a day because I of all my students and a lot of the practicing and I, I want to discover new techniques and I want to work with composers but I barely have time to write music myself now so it's such a it's such a crazy flip.
0: It sounds like it worked out really well though and you know you've You've done excellent for yourself in, in such a difficult and revered instrument, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's but, you know, I could never have done this instrument without the training I had at Conservatory. The, the ear training, the, the musical theory background, uh, the learning how to practice properly, working with you know world class chamber musicians and soloists and learning how to be a soloist and, and stuff like that, like that would never have come to me. I would never have been able to do anything that I do on shakuhachi without all of that background. So like my time studying shakuhachi looks short. I mean, I'm still studying now. I, you know, that's a constant thing. But until becoming like that, that shihan, becoming that master, that time may look, that time frame may look very short for a lot of people. But th- what they don't see is that I've been studying music since I was like 10 years old and learning how to play, how to count rhythms, how to hear music how to analyze how to practice yourself and how to work with other all those things i've had decade uh, over a decade of experience doing and at the highest level with uh you know doing it at the cleveland institute of music so all of those things combined helped me become a shakachi player if i i think that if i would have become a if i started with shakuhachi i think i'd be a lot worse of a player and i don't think i would be anywhere near as confident with the instrument um or as inventive with it.
0: That's understandable. As a person who's played multiple instruments myself, you know, once you have that foundation, once you have that music degree with high caliber training, it makes it so much easier to be able to pick up other instruments for sure. Mm
1: -hmm, Absolutely.
0: But you still have to have a passion for it. You know, like it, you can't just pick up an instrument and, and just assume it's going to go well, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah that's that is very true I mean th- there's a lot of driving force behind uh the shakuhachi for me and it it's like I mean of course we have bad days with each other and you know I want to I want to throw it out the window but it's it, you know it, there's always that love there that I just I can't I can't ever put you aside no matter what happens
0: that's how I feel when I discovered the ukulele I mean I grew up classically trained on piano and violin and cello. And then the ukulele comes along and it's like, oh, well, this is a happy little instrument. And I just adore it. Although your instrument is much harder to play.
1: <laughs> for it's, sure. It is not easy. Um, but, you know, there's also, it's also finding a really good, a really good instrument is also really hard to to, to find. And, and violin players, I it's getting, well, that's also like the price problem for violin, but also finding a good violin um, at, a, at an affordable price is very, very difficult.
0: In, incredibly so. Incredibly so.
1: I, I mean, it's your, your husband also plays cello and that's no different either. I mean, oh my God, I've seen cellos that are $500,000 <laughs> and just like, I couldn't, I just can't believe that price.
0: Yes. And then you talk about bows and bows get into the hundreds of thousands as well. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, that's, that's a couple of houses you got right there in your hand.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, I'm lucky that I just have, a uh, I just have to buy the shakachi. I don't need like a a second piece that goes with it.
0: So speaking of instruments, are there any other instruments that you would love to play? Like if you you had all the time in the world, would you love to play and learn?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. And I think that I would love to learn how to play the biwa. So the biwa is a four stringed lute like instrument. And it has like these super high bridges on them where you can bend the note down up like a whole step and sometimes even up a minor third. Uh, And they use it uh, for uh, a lot of music called like uh, heikyoku, which is like music from the Heian period. And it's, it's so, it's so cool. It's just like, there's singing involved with it. It, I love everything about it. And um, yeah, it's so, it's such a cool instrument.
0: Is it in any way related to the air hoop?
1: No, there's no bow. It actually uses a really large plectrum. And, oh, and so like okay. you there's so there's multiple different types um of uh of Biwa. And um so there's like uh, Samatsu Biwa. I think I hope I'm getting that right, the pronunciation pronunciation. I messed this up. I, I did a video about uh introduction of Biwa and I messed up one of the the types of it. But there's a specific type that has to do more with like the epics of samurai and like tells their story. And so uh one of my favorite pieces is actually Nasu no Yoichi, who is really famous for Apparently, taking down an entire uh, Mongolian ship with one arrow, or some something like that, some dramatic, you know, samurai tale. But he was a really famous archer. And there's a piece about him where you play the biwa and you sing the song, and, and you, it's like you're interplaying. Like sometimes, like the the biwa is like showing like the battle scene, like it's so like crazy and like a flamboyant, and then it slows down, and then it talks about like his life or what are the things he did or his successes and stuff. So it's, it's really cool.
0: That is very interesting. So it's um it's like Japanese historical programmatic music.
1: Uh yeah, absolutely. It, it's just like that. It's kind of like a I don't know. It's not like an art song, but it's it's almost like an opera for one person.
0: That is very neat. I'm gonna have to go look up all look that up now. I've, yeah, I'd never heard of that.
1: It's so. something I I definitely want to learn more about. It's it's hard. There's not a lot. Like it's hard to learn anything about Japanese instruments in general because there's just not that much like there's a lot of surface level things but when you go deeper like if you want to look up a translation for what that song is about not that i've like looked intensely but i don't know of one off the top of my head and not one that i could find and be like ah so that's what all the words are cuz it's also in old like, it's in classical japanese so it, i mean most japanese don't know classical japanese or like they don't remember or they're not very good at it cuz they only do so much of it in in high school so it's not like a one that people go, oh yeah, you know, like I can speak Shakespearean.
0: It is so interesting how that lang- how language evolves too. Yeah,
1: it's it's very very interesting actually because when you look at Japanese language in like the Edo period, it's completely different. Like it, it looks like a different language.
0: I noticed that you're also learning to write in Japanese and do various painting, which I think is just so beautiful are those things that you're learning are they inspiring your music making and your teaching or or would you or how how does that relationship work for you
1: you know i so i'm learning a a couple things actually i'm so i'm learning shodo which is japanese calligraphy with brush and i'm also learning shomyo which is japanese liturgical chanting uh, the buddhist chanting um so and the reason why is like i I've studied shakuhachi with like some of the greatest players and I've learned so much from them and I'm starting to hit like a wall. Like there's only so much technique we can talk about and there's only so much stuff where you go, yeah, you know, if you do it, you can do it like this. And I go, yeah, I know. And I can also do it like this. And they go, oh yeah, you can do it like that. Well, did you think about this? And I, just, I thought about that. And they said, did you think about this? And I go, I didn't think about that. But it's, you know, it's kind of like that interplay of, you know, just experimenting. And I was thinking, you know what, maybe I need to learn some other breath based arts to help with inspiring and, and to, you know, and, and improve my shakuhachi playing. So through Shodo, I'm one, I'm learning a, a new vocabulary of words that are not in, in, in shakuhachi, or at least that are not used as often. Like I don't hear people talk about uh, zanshin in, in shakuhachi, where zanshin is like the remainder of the soul. So it's it's the first character is leftover, and the second character is kokoro, which is heart. And so that's kind of like the energy that's left over at the end of it. And then you return that back to your center, to the tanden, which is the the point right below your your navel uh, for focus of meditation. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good point. I'm going to start using that with my students, and I'm going to start thinking of that more often as I play.
0: I'm definitely going to have to look. You're giving me so many things to look up, Sean. <laughs>
1: It's like, I, this, this sort of conversation that I'm, you know, I'm having with you. It's just conversations that I've had with other people. And they like, they'll tell me something. and I go, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to look that up. And then I, I have such an obsessive personality where once I learn, I, I find something that's cool. I just like YouTube everything. I start like searching the internet and I go, oh, there's a journal article about this. I'm going to read that. And then at one point, at one point, I'm just like, you know what? I'm learning all this stuff about it. I, I get there's just like everything in the world. So this person says one thing. This person says another thing. This person says another thing. And there's just so much conflicting information in the calligraphy world. I'm just going to go find a teacher. And I'm going to go study with them. And so then I found somebody uh, and I started working with them. And, you know, she's she's wonderful. And she's really, really helping me with almost like relearning the basics of shakuhachi through shodō. And those 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 absolute basics I realize are like, you know what, I didn't even realize that I was doing that. And not being aware of something is just as bad as not knowing something, in my opinion. So it, it's it's wonderful. Now show meo, that's a whole nother ball of like, if you want to talk about something that's old. Uh, it, it originally comes from India, made its way through China and then through uh, Japan, but it came in Japan, I think like in the 700s or the 600s, same time as when like Kukai brought Shingon uh, Buddhism to Japan. And this, uh, oh my God, the music is just so beautiful. They have two different types of scales for, uh, for Shomyo and this, this minor scale that they use or this minor sounding scale fits exactly with Shakachi music. Like the melodies are so similar and the way that the voice moves is the same way the shakuhachi moves. And it's like a whole new world of like, oh, my God, I can take all of these sounds from my, like, uh, from shomyo, and I can it just put them in shakuhachi playing. And it's just so cool. It, it really, you can go so deep.
0: So it sounds like shomyo, you said, is a type of singing? Yes, type of meditation. That is, that is very interesting. And then, of course, like you said, everything synthesizes and it creates deeper meaning for your work with shakuhachi.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think that that's like one of the problems with like and, and this is my teacher explained this perfectly. My shakuhachi teacher, he he said that, you know, when you're in when you're in America, you don't have a a lot of opportunities to experience breath-based arts and an extraordinarily high caliber. So, when when he was in Japan, in the '80s and '90s, he he said that he would just go to the the Noel theater and he would sit in the audience and just watch them play and match up his breath with it. And I was like, that is such a good idea. And so then I started. I went to a concert and I did the same thing. And I was like, ah, I, f- I can find things that I like and what I don't like. And you know, especially watching like calligraphy in person and, and hearing the person breathe, like that's something they cut out. They put like music over the calligraphy. I'm like, ah, I'd rather hear the person breathe. But that's more like the nerdy side, like people want to hear the music and all that stuff. But for me, I want to hear that person breathe because I want to match my breath with them and see how they're doing it to kind of go deeper. But almost all the, almost all of the arts, and I would actually say all of the arts in Japan are breath-based. So no matter what I go to see, whether it's tea, whether it's kabuki, whether it's, you know, anything, aikido or uh, sword trainings or whatever, that all has to do with the breath. It has to do with the tanden. It has to do with, you know, it's more about what you're doing. No, no, no. It's more about how you're doing it rather than what you're doing.
0: If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. I can see that. I can see that. Um, You know, at least from what I know, most Asian cultures, you know, there's so much intent, you know, focus on the intent of the action and the intent of, the product being created like well and you know having a a really strong purpose of
1: that it's interesting because i think that part of that statement is it's really right and then there's another part of it that's wrong which is that focus part like the focus on it my my show teacher says why like stop thinking so much about it like don't don't try to make the brush move move with the brush which means that everything has to be natural and if you focus on it and you try to do it it's it it becomes unnatural so you know my like she's super strict you know my first lesson with her we did one line for an hour just wow. just one line and you're like well that's just ridiculous how hard is it to draw a line very hard and and I'll tell you why is because when you don't do it properly the ink is actually it's not as dark and so they call that fukai like deep and so when you do it poorly the ink is actually lighter it's like there it's like it, it it's so it's so strange and I can't tell you why it's that way other than the fact that it's just like, it's, well, I'll tell you what my teacher says. You are connecting with the universe and using the the energy of the gods. All right, I'll take that. I mean, if I can write with the, the energy of the gods, sign me up. But when you do it right, and when you don't think about anything, and you just allow it to be, like, when does the line end? I don't know. When it ends. And you just have this feeling like, right there. That's where it ends. You know, it's it's almost, it reminds me of that story where this uh, I can't remember the monk's name, but they this one monk asks ask another monk, "What is what is Zen?" And at, at that moment, he was like grounding flax or whatever, and he says like I think like three three pounds of flax. And it's just like at that moment, it, it's it's what it is. Like what what are you drawing? I don't know. I'll fi- I'll know when I'm done. When are you gonna be done? When it's done.
0: I feel like that that relates so well to cre- the creative art field because when you're composing music, or you're writing a poem, you know, or you're writing a song for a friend, or, or what what have you any making a painting, you know, there's like, you get this feeling within yourself, where you know, when something is finished.
1: Ah, uh, Yeah, but you know, everybody's process is really different. Um, I, I was always much more of a through composer. And I do a lot of things like that, even like with shakuhachis, I, I don't try to like there's my planning process of, you know, I play through something and I go, uh, that didn't work. I need to find something else and, and then try again. And then, uh, that didn't work either. Then try again. Oh, maybe. And and whatever. But, you know, it's like, I, I'm reminded of a story that one of my other composition teachers told me about, um, John Corgliano, where like he would write out full diagrams and colors and, and colors and pictures and lines and everything of of his piece of what it would look like before he even wrote the first note down. So he had like this full mapped out plan of this is how it's going to go. Then he writes the full piece and then it's done. Where as like for somebody like somebody else, they would just sit down and they just go, All right, here's the beginning. Right, 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 right. Okay, it's done, not changing it. And then of course there's people that are in between. So it's it's, you know, all over the place with with that. But I think that's why I like the the Shodo so much is that uh there is no correcting. You can't go back and fix anything because if you do, you can see how the the ink changes and you can see the stroke in the ink. Unlike where in Western, um, like uh, what is that called? oil painting on oil and canvas? You can, you know, do it again and again and again. And you have to uh, because like there's multiple layers of the of the ink. And then it takes like three months to dry uh, for for one of those paintings. Show is dried in 50 seconds. It's a really it captures that moment in just that moment alone, and I'm also then immediately reminded of one of the things that my teacher said about his uh, shakuhachi recordings is that he says, "I I don't I don't go back and edit anything. I don't take I don't do multiple takes. I just perform it once for the CD, and then if there's mistakes in it, that's part of the piece. That's my energy in the piece. And I go, God, I wish I had that confidence." <laughs>
0: Yeah, wow. <laughs> you would not hear very many musicians at all do that.
1: Yeah, especially not today. But I mean, like there's a back in the day when you when you would hear um, like the great piano, like the great pianist, I think was it Richter uh, or, or Horowitz, like plays wrong notes. But the phrase is so immaculate. Why would you delete that? Why would you try to redo it? The, did you hear the phrase? Do you hear how beautiful that music was? Keep it.
0: Mm hmm. It's very similar, like in music therapy, when we're we're doing music, whether it's recreating music or composing music, it's not about the performance, it's not about the mistakes, it's about the act of music making and the healing and the journey that you're going on and you're not thinking about you're going to edit this out later because it's not about that, you know, it's about the journey of making the music and doing the music so that reminds me a lot of what you were talking about that story of, of the the musician who just does the one take because it's true it's your energy and what's happening in that moment
1: my uh, my good friend uh who's a wonderful violinist and educator he told me a story about this uh this young kid who was back in like the 60s who was this uh, violin virtuosi like one of the best who had ever ever lived and it died very young too and um, they uh, they were he was doing a recording of uh, the Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto. And in the in the piece, he had one note that was off, just one note that was a little bit off. And the recording engineer said, oh, I can fix that. And when he tried to fix it, the tape caught on fire and everything was destroyed. And then oh, no. apparently died the, the next week or something like that. So it's like also like don't mess with it, like don't mess with things that, you know, uh, and then actually, interestingly enough, I told that story to a um, another Japanese mu- uh, musician friend of mine, uh, Kyle Abbott, who I just helped uh, do a CD with him. And he was telling me the same thing happened with uh, a shamisen player that he loves. He plays shamisen and he um, said they were going to listen to this recording that has never been, you know, di- never digitized. It was like one of the only last copies of this amazing player. And there's so few recordings of him. This was like full CD or something like that. Um, or on on tape they knew that once they played it it was going to be the last time that it worked and then like some like literally the next day like a fire broke out and all those things were destroyed too so it's just like some things are just not meant to be be heard and apparently when they were playing it the guy who owned it was just like talking the entire time like listen to him play listen to this it's amazing he's like dude i want to hear it myself
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow that is that is amazing that is amazing some sort of energy in the
1: world, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh God it must have been an amazing amazing track too.
0: Definitely. So in talking about things that inspire you and what you find beautiful in life, can you in your own words tell me what what does living a creative life mean to you?
1: Oh being willing to take risk, and then you know, living with the mistakes and everything like that. Like I, I think I am reminded of a of a story that my a good friend of mine told about a the, the Buddhist wrestler, who had a um it's a very famous parable I I believe. And this, this so this Buddhist wrestler had a diamond in his in his head, like right here, and it was all like right in the middle of his uh, forehead. And he was a f- famous wrestler. Could, no one could ever beat him. And just for years and years, just one and one and one and undefeated. Then one day, uh, a guy came in, just completely destroyed him. And, and he threw, got thrown into the mud. And the mud got over the diamond. And he um, just felt like, oh, I, I'm the worst person in the world. I'm, I'm worthless. There's nothing I can do right. Uh, I feel like um, you know a huge failure. That one mistake is the end of me. And he went home and just you know sat in his own like pity and whatever then the Buddha came and wiped off the the dirt from the uh from the wrestler's head to reveal the diamond was still there and you know that that's the the parable of the story is that you know no matter what happens you know they can't you can't nothing in this life will take away your essence like your your spiritual power and that's the the I think one that a lot of artists have to you know we have to deal with A lot of us make mistakes, a lot of us do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or write the wrong piece or we have a failure, we don't give a good concert. You know, something happens. Two collaborating musicians get into a fight and then they break up and then they're never working again together. So many things can happen, but the the part of it is this, how are you going to prevail from it? Are you gonna let that end your career and make you stop? Or are you gonna learn from that and you're gonna just do the best you can to make art and to keep continuing to inspire people because even though like that one thing can happen i think every artist needs to realize that they are inspiring somebody and even if it's just that one person that's great and i think there's even for people who are just starting out and their only fan is their it's like is their mom like you're inspiring your mom and your mom is so happy and proud of you keep going because before you know it one person's going to come up and that one person who becomes your fan is going to tell two people and now you have three fans and then it builds and builds and builds and before you know it you have a really successful career fans will come and go things are going to go up and down life sucks but you can life is what you put into it if you're going to make it miserable and you're going to make it awful it's you know it's going to be awful but living a creative life is willing to take the risk to expose yourself to a lot more of that you know negative energy cuz that's what, you know, taking risk is.
0: Right, right. And a lot of musicians really struggle with the ups and downs of confidence, whether it's stage fright or just, you know, being bummed about maybe not having a good performance one night or or even the competition among musicians and and how it is so difficult to make it as a professional.
1: Yeah, and I'm one of them. Like <laughs> I I it's a it's a huge struggle. I mean, it's not easy. You know, we want to hold on to our uh it, you know, like in the Buddhist teaching teaching is to not hold on to things like, you know, don't have attachment. And well, what does that mean? Like, don't, don't be attached to this idea of fame. Don't be attached to this idea of like, you know, relationships and things like that, because they're gonna go, everything ends and everything, whatever. And it's a really hard lesson. It's easier said than done. Because every single time, you know, you know, like, if I feel like one of my musician colleagues are mad at me, I just go like, Oh, my God, I really feel it. And I feel it awful and terrible. And it just it really bothers me and like the first thing i would do is like oh how can i fix this and mend it and it's like well first off just stop doing everything just focus on you you can't fix other people you can't fix the problems in the world if you yourself aren't like there and a lot of times like i'm a nervous wreck like you know like every single day like trying to like i want to play this piece better i want to get better at calligraphy i want to understand more and it's like i also forget like dude you're you're 27. You've got time to do these things. You don't have to freak out every single time you don't know something or you feel like you're not understanding. And I have like these ups and downs of like, just when I think I really understand an aesthetic idea of, of Japanese culture, something like a monkey wrench gets thrown in and I go like, oh my God, I know nothing. And then it goes up and I'm like, oh, well now I understand it. And then it goes down like, oh, I know nothing. And it's just like, there's so many different perspectives on one thing too. That even one idea, it just means different things for so many people.
0: Would you say that you're motivated by learning more about the culture? Or or does it seem almost like a a challenge to have to overcome?
1: Mm, That's a really good question. And I would probably say that it's like it's a little bit of both. Because like I I want to know that stuff so badly, but I also meet like I also have met Shakachi players that are have been doing it for like 30 years and they don't know any of that stuff. Like, so is it really necessary? Probably not. But like part of like my, my craziness, like the, the inner creative artist, just like, I just have to know whether it's like, I don't know that one's, it's such a difficult question. I mean, that could be like 10 hours of talk. I could write a book about that is because, okay. Even taking for shodo, for example, I want to know how people do like how they start their kihitsu. Kihitsu is the beginning start of, of, a, of a stroke. There are so many different ways of thought about them. Everybody will tell you that this what, one way is right and the other way is wrong. So, who's actually right? Hmm. Whatever works for you. Okay, so now let's bring it back to Shakachi. Okay, so the piece that's on my stand right now is called uh, Diobo. All right, so I, I can look up 10 different performances of this. Every single one's going to be different. Every single one of those people is a grandmaster. Which one's right? Well, so the well, the real answer is it depends. It depends on like how you want to look at it, and what I would say is whichever one works for you. And what I'm actually finding out now is none of them work for me, and I just want to come up with my own. Like I don't I don't care like how you know they play it in this sect or in that sect or if this person's out of the out of the sectarian way of playing and they just do it their own. Well, that's it works great for them, but it's not what works great for me. And I think that's what my shodo teacher also embodies is, you know, she, she now, like in her eighties, she's like, I don't even paint characters anymore. I don't even do, I don't even do like calligraphy as an art like that. I I do things beyond that. I I don't even want to, I don't need a character to express it. I I have to go beyond that. And I understand that. And so, so for me, maybe I look at, at the old and I go, you know what? I don't even need half of this piece. I only need the first two lines and the last two lines to express what I actually want to express. So then I've created my own version of the oboe that's not, you know, whatever. Or I, maybe I've used half the piece or 75% of the piece. And I just say, I don't need to repeat these, like some of these things. I'm just going to take out this entire section of music because it's meaningless to me. And I'm going to replace it with uh, with an improvisation instead. Or maybe I'll just do an improvisation based off of the oboe and I'll be even more happy because I can actually express what I want to express. So I think that part is the hardest because especially in like in in japanese culture there's it's such a way of doing things that's so important like keeping the tradition of how things were done previously is really important but that's not that's not me though that's not my spirit and and there's a lot of other Shakachi very famous players who are like that too and they they played outside of the the schools and they just did things the way that they wanted to do because it, uh, it didn't fulfill what they wanted to say. And so I find myself in that sort of category where it's like, I don't really care if it's not what's traditional, if that sounds not traditional, what I'm taking a traditional piece and I'm updating it to making it fit my needs, which is I have something I wanna say. People might ask, well, what are you trying to say? I don't know. I'll let you know once I've said it.
0: And I feel like that's really a core of art. It's taking the tools, taking the resources, and then creating something that's pure and true to you, the person as an artist, and what you want to say. Yeah. Just like when someone writes a book, they take all the words of the lang- their language they want to write in, and they write something new. It's not like they're copying off of anyone else. They're just writing something new using the same tools you know, you're taking shakuhachi and you're taking maybe these pieces and maybe you're doing variations and improvisations and you're still being true to it, but you're also being true to yourself by creating something new. But I can completely understand, you know, like it's, it's a journey and it's, it it really is, you know, I can't sum it up much more than that, you
1: know? Well, also, you know, what I'm also thinking about now is that like, I could listen back to this podcast that we're creating, like fifteen years from now, and be like, "Wow, I absolutely knew nothing. I was a complete idiot then." <laughs> things like that. Or I could look back and be like, wow, "I wish I, I, I wish I could return to that, be more like that, or you know, anything." But it's like I, I always wondered about. Like, uh, I've had, I've seen so many musicians who are just so certain about, and I'm talking like older musicians and younger musicians are so certain about how they do things and the way that they do things and uh like i've heard recordings where they they play the same way for 30 years and i go like how do they know like that's the way they want to express it like how did they find that or maybe that maybe that is like maybe that is bad or something like that maybe it's not the right way but like for for me like i'm just like constantly like what am i doing i don't even know what i'm trying to say and then sometimes like i'll get a really good performance of something and i go how did i do that like i don't even know what happened like it's like outer body experience i played it and then the piece was over and i was like huh i guess that was okay i listened back and i go whoa that was interesting how did i do that i don't remember doing anything and i think it's the same thing with like composition too like i don't remember how i wrote a really good piece and then it stresses me out because i'm like oh i want to write that piece again and that never works and anytime i ever want to recreate a performance oh my god it's like the worst thing ever oh yeah so you know oh my god i have a tragic story tragic it was a. Uh, I i had one of my students here for he was doing um Shugyo with me. He came here and did a bread and breakfast and was studying shakuhachi. And uh, you know, we we're playing shakuhachi five hours, you know, a day. And then we go walk around and come back and play some more. And at, at dinner on the last night, I was, I felt inspired to just play him a piece. And so I played him a piece called Daha, which means the beating waves. And I, I have told this story now to like, I think like 10 different people, because I'm still very upset about it. And I played this piece Daha. And it was by far the most amazing performance of Daha I've ever done. And I felt afterwards, I was like, I'm the shit. That was so good. Then I was like, I cannot wait to record this piece tomorrow. It's gonna be the best thing I've ever done. Not even close. Not even half of what it was. And then I, I asked my student, I was like, Okay, listen to my performance of Daha on, on YouTube. And do you remember the one on uh, that I gave you at the dinner one night? He goes, The one at dinner was so much better. Doesn't even compare to this. And it's just like that moment in history. It's just a memory. It's just the memory of that, like um, one of one amazing moment. But it was that what what I think that I did there was I just let it all go. I just took the energy that was at that moment. You know, we had a long day of shakachi playing. We were in really high spirits. We had really good sushi, uh, you know, a couple nice bottles of sake and everything was just set perfectly. There's no cameras. There's no mics. There's just myself, my wife and my student play the piece. Incredible performance. And that's it the moment's done the moment's over and that that being recreated will never happen and trying to recreate that is just a waste of time
0: i know you say it's a tragedy but i think i think you could categorize it as as a triumph because by not being able to recreate it again it makes it all the more special
1: yes i think the reason why it's a tragedy for me is it's not recorded and i want to listen to it again <laughs> and yeah so there's that sort of thing but also i get that too where now it's just a memory and what's, it's kind of special because only three people get to share it: myself, my wife, and my student.
0: Mm-hmm. Very exclusive.
1: It's, v- it's a very exclusive club. Uh,
0: but what's interesting that you brought up about how you want to listen to ro- a recording of it is: would you want to possibly spoil such a special memory?
1: Me? Yes. <laughs> other <laughs> other people, no. But it's it's part of the craziness because it's like I want to like analyze it and just figure out like what did I do that time. And I, and I do that, I think that's probably one of my downfalls as a shakuhachi player, is in one of my blind spots, is that I worry too much about the times that I made a good note, and I don't, like, I need to take that lesson from my teacher, where he says, that moment when I make a bad note, that's part of the piece, that's me. I'd be like, God, I just need to do that, like, when the note just goes full up, it's be like, yes, that was great.
0: I, I sense that you're a perfectionist. Uh,
1: just a little bit? Is that come Just for? a tad. Just a tad <laughs>
0: just just a smidge
1: I'll tell you where I'm not a perfectionist though is when I when I write in English and like when I write things out I think any editor that looks at my English writing would just be like please go back to school please go back to school and write and remember all those red marks those aren't good those bad
0: (laughs) (laughs) well did you write the bio on your own website because I thought it was very good
1: no I did not okay I hired somebody (laughs)
0: <laughs> well whoever you hired
1: it was fantastic oh, yeah, she's awesome but I, I so like uh, so when I when I asked her to write that for me you know, she's a technical writer for um, for doctors so even like doctors they don't they don't write their own things all the time they hire somebody else to do that stuff for them so it's you know their my job is to play music and to, and to write music her job is to write words and so I, I don't have to be wear every single hat you know, to do those things. I already have to do my own video editing, audio editing, YouTube management, social, like social media production. Then I have to manage my own finances, be my own, own accountant, find out like, I have enough jobs already. And then on top of that, so I, I don't mind, you know, paying somebody some money, take the tax deduction and say, please make me look better and not like a dum dumb. <laughs> so her process was, okay, you're gonna write a bio for me and you're gonna, you're gonna tell me everything you want. And I want you to write about yourself as as egotistically as possible so i know everything you can do and then i'm going to make you look better with doing this i'm going to turn it around and i will write it and uh, and it will be great and then she did and i'm like wow that is really good no oh, she's a very good writer and, it and is. um yeah i i did that i've actually done that a lot before where and i remember actually i did that for one of my concert programs where i wanted somebody to write all of the um the notes about my piece where like okay i told them about it like i would talk to the the writer and say this is what the piece is about and then they would say oh okay they took notes and then they'd write it and they'd say okay how is this and I go okay ah uh, that's correct that's right but I don't like this word and we'd work on it and change it but like writing is an art in itself and you know that's that's a whole other thing that I'm not so good I'm a much better speaker than I am a writer
0: you are an eloquent speaker and very and a very interesting storyteller as well I like I stories and
1: I, that's another thing, part of that, what inspires my shakachi playing is sometimes I do have a narrative structure in pieces where I have like characters in mind and they have names and they go to places where are they going? What's the grass like there? How is the sun? Is it hot or is it even there? Is it a cloudy day? How's the wind? What's the temperature outside? And that affects all of the things for shakachi because I can make a cold note with a shimmery glassy sound of the sun on the water, or I can make a warm note that's like, that's overly humid. And it's just kind of like dragging your feet to try to to get to the next place without like, you know, pouring sweat. And I want that experience to be in the note.
0: As a person who's listened to some of your recordings, I I feel like I can feel that. I feel like I can imagine that myself. Like you do a very, very good job. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Do you have a favorite piece of all time to play on shakuhachi or is it just sort of depend on your mood?
1: You know, I used to hate this answer every time somebody gave <laughs> me an answer i'd be like such a cop out man it's the piece i'm working on at any given moment <laughs> i hate that answer i even it makes me sick that i even said that
0: but if it's true like i feel less
1: i feel less of a musician like that was such an easy answer it's like dude come on <laughs> man you could be better than that but it's the answers no i just i just like what i'm working on it's what i'm focusing on i don't i don't think about like everything else i i will say that the, the piece that I, I really work on a lot is called Honshirabe, and it's it's one of the first pieces that you learn um, in, in like for traditional Japanese music tradition in, in my school, like in my studio, in my teacher's studio, it was one of the first pieces that in his book about uh, traditional music. And when I was, when I first started Chakachi, it was the first piece that I learned too. And it's interesting because reading like I like reading CD liner notes too. About it's a great place to get information about uh, history of different mm-hmm. pieces, uh, and also I found out a really bad place to get information about pieces too. <laughs> because, there's a lot of stuff that's right, and there's a lot of stuff that's really wrong. And I wish I would have known that before. Um, but the the piece that this one it's said to be about 400 years old and it comes from the hamamatsu region, region of japan which is uh, in shizuoka which is just down the street from me actually just like through i think three or four hours uh by train the, the the thing is that they said that the the wandering monks the komuso of japan would play this piece every single day like that was a daily practice piece kind of like Bach. as like i, I <laughs> yeah kind of like Bach, right um and i um i i would go i go around to different temples and locations and shrines and i do shugyo which is aesthetic training you know you wear you wear kimono, you wear your your um, you know your proper shoes and tabi and you know the full thing. You bring your shakuhachi with you, and as you're going to different places, you play shakuhachi. And now there's there's pieces that are designed for certain things and whatever, but there's no like set rule of how to do shugyo or anyways. It's you you create your own. And not like we have writings of how Komuso, these monks did the shugyo anyways, or at least I haven't seen it. And, um, so I use that piece, I use that piece and like, I'll go to a place and I'll just play Honshidabe, and then I'll walk 15 minutes, hike up a small mountain and then get to the next shrine and I'll play Honshidabe, And then I'll go to another place and then play Honshidabe, And then by the end, like I've played, you know, 50 Honshidabes that day for five hours and I played it differently every single time. And then sometimes I'm like, wow, I added something because I was just so exhausted and couldn't think. Or like uh, that time I completely skipped a line. And, and this is interesting of like how the piece transforms or how I do different things that we you know weren't there before. And it gives me ideas for, you know, for music or one thing I, I noticed that when you walk and you play flute, you get this, you get this bounce. And so like in my, my, my friend who I do the shugil with, he was saying like, yeah, I, I think it'd be really interesting if you added that bounce in your piece. Like if you played a piece that was about takahatsu about begging and you're walking you have the bounce you should add that bounce in the piece And i was like oh my god that's a really good idea so in these pieces that don't have bounce written in them but they're pieces that are begging pieces i added it and i was like wow that really changes it a lot and i kind of like it and then it kind of like became to love to now where i do it too much <laughs> so but it's a uh, it's just like that kind of experiment of of doing it. I would say that Honshirabe would probably be that piece of like my favorite because I've discovered so much in it, and it continues to teach me.
0: And music seems to have that that effect on us as musicians. You know, it could be the simplest piece in the world, and you will always learn something.
1: Mm, yes.
0: I can't remember which musician said it, but I think I'll I'll have to look it up because I'm terribly curious, but there's this uh, string player, I think that said he plays, he plays something different every time, you know, and why wouldn't he? I don't know. I'll have to look it up because it's, it reminded me of what you were saying, you know, your interpretation is different, you know, maybe because it's the end of the day versus the beginning of the day when you were like, hopped up on coffee or something and, and you know maybe you took yeah. the tempo a little quicker at the beginning of the day and then the tempo slowed as the day wore on you know or maybe your hand got tired and sounded different but it's all part of the message part of the energy of that piece in that moment and you in that moment very honest revelation or your
1: or your hands get really really cold because we we went out um doing shugyo in negative four degrees celsius and so it's like you know 20 degrees or something like that it was really cold and we hiked up a mountain and when we got to the top of the mountain, like your body's not cold because you're moving and like, you know, hiking for four hours straight, you know, you, the blood gets moving and you're, you stay warm. But when you get to the top of the mountain and then you realize that there's a cold, icy wind that hits your face, that changes the piece where it's like, all right, I'm gonna play this really <laughs> fast so I can get out of here. It's cold.
0: Yes. Does that affect your flute? The sound of the flute itself? The weather?
1: Yeah, it flattens it it flattens it a lot like you know anytime it's really cold and uh it's really hard to control the air because of the wind outside so it's actually easier to play in the woods where there's not you know a breeze but yeah it just it always depends also like you try to like it's not something you try to do nor like do but I think inherently like when you hear like those other sounds of like nature like you hear the waterfall in the distance it it, it makes you change the way you play and then, you know, you you collaborate with the birds and you hear those sounds and you start to, you know, tighten up the sound to make more whistles at the end and whatever. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that sort of stuff. Just being in nature changes, changes the way you interpret the music.
0: Other than being in the really freezing weather, that sounds extremely peaceful and it makes me want to go pick up shakuhachi now <laughs> just to experience like interacting with the birds.
1: Part of it really sucks though, because like, Shakuhachi takes an, an em, enormous amount of air. And so hiking up a mountain while playing at the same time is like, hiking is already difficult. Playing is already difficult. Putting them both together just sucks. But once you like come home and like the next day you wake up, you're like, all right, I feel like playing some shakuhachi, And then you play, you go like, wow, it's so easy. So it's it's not even just necessarily aesthetic training, but it's also like, you know, just really great lung training. And you don't have to be in Japan to do it. Like you can go anywhere. I mean just like when even in texas i mean there's plenty of parks that are like huge like national parks where you can go and just walk around and play shakuhachi and you know and you can get amazing like it's an amazing experience just or go to like a, a, a local mountain local hillside or something but that stuff's free you don't have to pay anybody to, to do that you know we i mean the only thing i have to pay for is a train ticket which both ways cost me like eight dollars and so $8 to have like, you know, a five to six hour experience in nature that I can just play my flute as loud as I want, as soft as I want, as waterfall-like as I want. I mean, I, I'd take that any day. Mm,
0: that sounds so peaceful and almost transcending to an extent. I'll let
1: you know when I transcend.
0: <laughs> You're getting there. Yeah, maybe maybe next, next week, right?
1: Maybe in, maybe in 10 minutes. I don't know.
0: We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back more with Shakuhachi player, Sean Head. If you enjoy my podcast, Creative Piecemeal, then check out Musicians Dish. Freelance musicians Robin Anderson and Audra Sergal are longtime pals, work wives, music teachers, recording artists, church musicians, directors, advocates, and now podcasters. Their bi-monthly conversations casually examine the ins and outs of being modern music entrepreneurs with multiple earning streams. Sometimes these conversations devolve into the gutter. Other times, they're truly uplifting. Every episode is a dish. Listen in for epic gig stories, ways they did and didn't survive 2020, not a great year for musicians or most people, as it turns out, how they handle performance anxiety, And maneuver the healthcare system, how they get paid, and the worst jobs they've taken for $100 or less, including some adjunct work. Every episode of Musician's Dish is a deep dive for your ear holes, curse words guaranteed. New episodes every other Monday. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, or wherever you like to tune in. And we are back with shakuhachi player and composer, Sean Head. Welcome back to to the show. So um, we're gonna keep going with some more questions, and I've been curious to know since you are in Japan, how has the current situation affected your creative process and your
1: music making? Um, I would say that in terms of like you know actually creating stuff, um, not so much, but the the inspiration that I get for playing with for playing in front of people, that of course is just completely gone. Um, there, there's not a lot of. I have my first concert scheduled for um march 20th and if all goes well that will stay on but you know all of japan is still is back into a state of emergency which means that a lot of places are just closed down and it's really sad to see we were actually at uh hosanji yesterday and it's a it's on a mountainside where we were doing shugyo and we were lo- i was looking at all the coffee shops and all the like you know hotels and, things, and everything's closed and i was just like god that's so multi like you know how like how like just like awful that is things are just sitting there and not being utilized and stuff like that and it's the same thing with all the like musicians though like all these musicians have this amazing gift that they could be sharing with everybody and share and like you know there's so many great artists in the world and they could be you know out in public and in person playing for people and inspiring and that's just not there so I feel like I feel very down about that um and I try to do things like you know, that's why I've uploaded so much to YouTube this past year. It's just, you know, doing like a, a performance every single day, having a video because there people just don't have that anymore. And you know, it's not like YouTube makes a lot of money. Like, I think if people knew how much I made this year um, on YouTube, they'd be like, Oh, like, so you're basically doing it for free. And so my, my YouTube uh, summary this year is like from Jan or sorry, from November to now is a whopping $20 in advertisement money. So, and that's like, that's thousands upon thousands of views and just really nothing, you know, it's it's not about that. It's just about, you know, giving people, you know, inspiration to hopefully do their own art. And what I've noticed is I've actually noticed other people starting to upload more of their own performances, which is just so great. Like YouTube and all the, like Venmo and all the other, or Vimeo are all these uh, uh, outlets for, you know, getting videos as a a way that we can at least express our art somehow. So trying to find ways, but, you know, when you're looking at a screen and you play a piece and you finish and there's no clap, you just see a bunch of text pop up and, or maybe a couple heart reacts or something like that. It's just not the same as, you know, looking into the person's eye and seeing that, like, Oh, I really enjoyed that or "Ah, next piece, please.
0: Yeah. There's definitely an energy and a give and take from playing live or even conversely, hearing a piece live or a band or an artist live that is lost in translation, so to speak, via recording, but at least we have these capabilities you know people are still able to share their music, and people are still being able to be inspired by it it's just it just looks different it feels different you know it's it's a whole nother medium
1: absolutely i i do i do wish that like you know we could do I did go to a concert um three days ago and was it three days ago or two days ago? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, and you know, the, there was very, very, very few people there, you know, I would probably say there was probably 20 in the audience, like the hall could actually fit like 250 to 300 people. So, you know, 10th of capacity and it's just, the energy is different. You know, people just don't feel like people don't want to clap loud. They don't want to like say anything there. Everybody's really quiet. And it's not like, that's not just like a Japanese thing. It's just like, People just don't want to, like the corona, 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 corona. It's all they're thinking about the entire time. And then when somebody coughs in the audience, you can feel the tension in the air. Just everybody goes, what is that? And you, it really ruins it. Like it just, people can't just, they can't just let go and just listen to the music.
0: That's so sad that, you know, it's it's affecting the ability to enjoy art in that way. You know, even live art when you're protected, like you said. Yeah. But in a positive spin, um, what is something that you're most thankful for during this unusually
1: historic time? Well, I did meet my wife at this, at this time, so that was great. And um, also, it really inspired me to move to Japan because um, I thought, you know, I, I knew... That I I, I can't say I knew I'm not like a fortune teller, but when I when I saw that there was like the virus popping up in China and how fast it was spreading, I knew that it was just a matter of time before it went to Japan, before it went to Korea, then before it comes to the states, and I, I knew that it was going to be a lot bigger than you know in the, in the onset of it. I I knew that for a fact. I just had that feeling in my gut, and so I st- said to myself, you know, maybe this might be the time to just pick up and move to Japan, and. My my now wife and I when we were talking about that we were thinking like, what do you want to do because if um if we don't if we don't act fast you know one we're probably not going to be able to see each other again because we're we're gonna the traveling between countries is just impossible um or in we we can try to stay in America but getting a visa for America you have to go back to Japan and they're not going to let you fly fly back here or you know so what was what is it going to be. And so it's a lot easier to get the visa for Japan. So he said, all right, well, let's just do Japan. It makes sense for me to be there anyways. It's always somewhere I wanted to live. And, you know, we can we can easily create a life there because your family is there. We have a support unit where in in America, um, like I have family, but it's not like I mean, you know, you probably have family in other states. You know, we don't we don't see each other that often because going from one state to another is actually a big deal in America, whereas going from one prefecture to Japan to another is just like, yeah, that's a two hour like, train ride and $11, you know, one way where, you know, you want to do that in America, you're talking like lots of money, hundreds of dollars just to do that. So we ended up deciding to do the Japan thing. So I would say that's the, the two highlights is one, I'm living in this beautiful house in Japan. I have a lovely wife and I'm, I'm able to live my life to the fullest and express it as much as I can. Um, and I think just being living in the old style, living in a in a house that has only tatami mats, and you know where we have we feel the seasons, we are we cook in the old style. You know, it's having a garden out front that you have to take care of, doing the traditions here, and being able to focus on myself and not not traveling constantly um, has also been really great. Before the Corona thing happened, I was traveling. Um, usually two times a month to somewhere to give to do a concert or to do some sort of collaboration. Um, in February and March alone of, of last year, I think I did seven seven different concerts in seven different states. And uh, January, I did I was out in California doing collaborations and you know do, doing video making, and I was in other places. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a, it was a really hectic lifestyle to be traveling like that. And eating out all the time is really not good for your body, I found. It
0: sounds like you really came away with a lot of really positive things, you know, and congratulations on moving and all those wonderful new life experiences that you get to have now. And
1: it's, oh, well, it's great to not live out of a a suitcase. Uh, Let me tell you, that's there. uh, When I was um, doing my first like sort of mini tour, I would say. Um, I went to Japan and then I came back and I did some concerts in America and it was about three months long and I was so sick of living out of a suitcase because I would I would go back to my house but I'd only be there for two days and then I'd leave again and like it's not like I'm complaining like oh my gosh I have work and I'm playing music if we're living how awful is that no it's just it's just like everything has its downside and that was the one thing that really sucked was just always out of a suitcase and You know, like I just want to hang my clothes up and just being able to walk into the closet and grab it, not have to dig through a suitcase and repack it constantly. And uh, sleeping in your own bed is is actually became like something that was awesome. I remember when it was time for like, hey, let's go on vacation. Like, yeah, where are we gonna go in Houston? (laughs) I want to stay in Houston and and do something here for, for, for vacation. I don't want to travel anywhere.
0: And I can only imagine that it that it's very very taxing on musicians, traveling musicians, and and I don't I don't know how how those people do it. I guess you just really have to, you really have to love the art and there's so many sacrifices.
1: I I think of somebody like Yo-Yo Ma who was traveling like every other day, it seems to do a concert somewhere and, you know, not even getting to stay in the air. Like I was lucky enough where I was staying in the location for at least like three or four days and sometimes up to a week where I could at least relax and enjoy some of the things there. And, you know, go out to eat and meet people that were at the university that I was, you know, doing the concert at or, You know, I get to make friends with somebody, and we get to hang out and have free time. But someone like that, you know, they're just constantly on the move from one interview to the next interview to the concert. And so I'm glad like I didn't do that sort of thing. Um, But I would say I've spent a lot of time waiting in airports.
0: That that must be so draining.
1: There's only like I'm not a big reader. Like I don't like to necessarily read, which probably reflects why I am not a good writer. And I, I mean, I've read a lot of books and, um, and uh, like journal articles and, you know, papers about like, you know, the things that I'm doing and studying. And there's only just so much you can do where you just go like, can I just watch Netflix?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes it's just important to, to give your brain a break like that, you know, especially when you're on the road so much. But that's great to hear that you're, you're stabilized, you know, and, and you don't have to, travel as as much unless it's something that you really needed to do do you think in the future would you continue to do touring like once it's safe to travel would you would you consider that
1: um yeah i I definitely want to but i'm gonna try to stick more on the um like on the asian side of things i'd like to go to taiwan china korea and you know maybe pacific islands and do more concerts there and of course doing more stuff in in japan uh, I, I really want the experience for like playing play. I've, I've played a lot for Japanese audiences, but I'd like to do a lot more of it because it, it's, a, it's a different, it's a different type of environment to play for, for Japanese, but any, any, any culture it's different. You know, they come with their own, you know, I, I wouldn't call it like, we'll, we'll call it cultural baggage for the sake of the conversation, but it's not like a negative thing. It's just that it's different. And that different experience really helps put into like light, how i interpret things and how i you know present myself and whatever i've noticed that from the from a few concerts that i have gone to in japan where i'd probably say i've been to like maybe 20 or 30 concerts and i noticed that a lot of the artists don't talk it's usually somebody else who who speaks they have like an announcer who says like all right everybody please set off your phones to the silent moon hi minasama konnichiwa ashi o hakobi ni arigatou gozaimasu and then it's like (laughs) always the same always the same type of voice same type of speech and then they'll introduce the pieces and they just say the name but they don't really go into detail about it but it's written in the um it's written in the pamphlet so people can read but i wonder like what if i try to communicate and engage with my audience member more and you know do the things that i was doing in america like telling stories like it i don't i don't talk so much like history and things like that on like in concerts it's not really that's not my forte what i do is i create a story and then i take people along that journey with me so they can experience the music how i experience it so i'm wondering what if i do that with people in japan how will that go over will people enjoy it will people be like eh, take it or leave it doesn't matter some people like it some people don't you know it whatever but it's just something i want to try
0: and you never know until you try I think it would be interesting, you know, especially since since you said you you came, you know, you grew up in America, you come from a Western perspective, you know, you go to a conservatory and it's a lot of the music as the Western perspective, you know, history of Western music, you know, is is a very popular um, music history book. And so coming in to another country, learning the culture, playing an instrument of that other culture, you know, other than the one in which you're a native, you know. It sounds like you're doing doing things to learn and grow and be respectful, but also put your own spin on it.
1: You know, I I feel like what's what I'm what I'm doing is almost what happened in the 1950s and 60s with classical music, where a lot of Asian players started to come over from, you know, China, Japan, Korea and do music in, in America. And it went over like they played really, really well. But there were, they felt like a lot of um, restriction, of like well, this is not my culture, and blah blah blah. It's like it's not really Americans' America's culture either. It's European culture, and so there, I I can I understand how they feel, like how they felt at that time, and so and I can kind of see like, oh, this it's not my culture or whatever. But it's like, yeah, but you know, music is music. It's you know those those Chinese musicians in the 1950s weren't playing Beethoven because they were just like, oh. I know i I must become more Westernized, and it's like they they heard that and they found something amazing to it, and they found something that moved them and inspired them, to the point where they wanted to try to go to America and play, or they wanted to go to Europe and perform, and you know show them their interpretation of it. And so, yeah, I I just I think it's it's just a continuation of like how the arts can actually really connect us and shows shows everybody like in the world how human we are and how much how much how more similar we are than different.
0: I completely agree. You know, and like you said, music is music. And, and this could be applied to any of the creative arts, really. You know, it's, it's about making something and sharing it and experiencing it and bringing people together. And, you know, you were talking about how people from the Chinese musicians coming over playing Beethoven. For me, I remember taking this world music class in college and I really connected with Klutzmer music. And I grew up, I'm a half Japanese, half European descent, raised in a Catholic household, but I absolutely loved Kletzmer music, which is from the Jewish culture. And and for some reason, I connected with that kind of music. And I also connected with Celtic music. You know, I, I don't think I have a, a lick of Irish in me at all. Um, you know, and it, it's just about what you connect with, what speaks to you. And it doesn't necessarily matter if it's from your native culture or even ethnicity it's really about the art and and it that it touches you
1: yeah and and that's what shakachi has always been for me i i just there's no word there's no action there's no nothing that can describe like why it's just the other the other thing too is just like why is this the instrument that i'm good at you know it's like why why did this why was this the passion why was this the thing like i I could have just kept doing viola and violin i could just try to find a way to make my you know heal the injury and you know do like uh like training and exercises but why was i so readily willing to just say ah well you know viola is viola and whatever that that part of my life's over let's go to composition you know it's all like it's like there's more meaning behind it and yeah it i i love it i just love it so much and I think it, you feel the same way about like the things that you're doing. Like you just find this passion and driving force. And you know, I, I remember when people said, "They're like, you want to do a what?" I like, I want to become a Shakachi player, and I think I want to do this as a career. And they go, "Good luck." You know, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I mean, the beginning was awful. I mean, when I when I first started uh, in the professional world, I, I actually I worked four jobs. I worked as a high school orchestra director. I was a violin private teacher. I was doing concerts and with orchestras, playing as a violinist and a violist. And uh, then on the side, uh, I was doing shakuhachi. And I d- I barely had any concerts. I didn't have like I was just, just like an absolute nobody. And there's like, what's a shakuhachi? Like, and why do I care? And I had to make that case for them. And so some people some people knew it, and some people have like heard of other players in the states and whatever like and it's it's floated around but it was it was a really hard sell and it took a lot of work and it was i think you know working with composers was probably like my my saving grace is just playing really hard music and just whatever they wrote just i said try whatever you want i'll play it and just building relationship with those people and you know just being sincere just loving the instrument and just playing as much as i could then before I knew it, I didn't have to uh, teach the high school job anymore. I could just do private lessons and I had more concerts coming in and I could write music again. And then um, I, I was really reluctant about taking Shakachi students. That was something I was like, oh, I don't wanna do that. I was so scared because I was just like, oh my God, I, I don't feel like I know anything. Like, I, what am I gonna teach them? And then I just finally bro- broke down somebody, some my first student, I went up to Minnesota and I gave a concert and he was like, just I would love to take lessons with you, please. We could, just, please. I would love to take lessons. I'm very serious. I've always wanted to do this. I've been practicing and playing. I've been on and off with Shakachi for 10 years with different students. And I just, the way that you, we, talk about Shakachi, I just I jive with that. I, I want to learn that. And I go, I don't even know what I'm doing, but okay. And then I'm, but I'm so glad that I did that because the teaching the shakuhachi and that has made uh, all the difference. It's made me such a better player, and it's made me such a better person. And I love my studio. I love my studio, and I love all of my students so much. We meet every single week. Like the entire studio body, we all get on Skype and we do a master class. We we listen to music together. We talk shakuhachi. We just do our insights. You know, it's just it's really like a family. And that's it. So I I've really been able to just carve out this entire thing where. I don't just play shakuhachi. I don't just, you know, work with, you know, a, a maker and, you know, sell instruments. I don't just teach. I don't just do math. I do I do as much as I can with it. I want to get every single part of it from the training in the mountains to waking up on Thursday morning to teach a student.
0: And even though you came to shakuhachi later in your musical life, you know, you've you've found your passion.
1: Well, you know, some people, they don't, like, I every time I, I feel like, I, I feel like I'm falling behind or I feel like I'm late on something. Um, I remember that there's there used to be this thing on Facebook where they said, like, time is relative. And then they would give all these famous people, like, like Whoopi Goldberg didn't make her first big appearance until, like, in her 40s or something like that. Or this this actor didn't have a big break. Or this musician didn't sell their first CD since they were 50. And then I, I realized at that point, it's like, well, you know what? when if I feel like the like something is not moving forward that just means it's not my time yet and I have to wait it will be there and if I don't want to rush it don't want to push it it's just let it happen um naturally and organically and so just doing the things I want not feeling the pressure to have to do anything and that's I guess another thing that corona has really helped with is that I have to be a lot more patient because that's I'm very patient with my students I'm very patient with many things in life but what I'm not patient with is myself I always I'm demanding of like. Why aren't you good at this yet like get better why aren't you playing at this level why can't you uh, like do this piece why can't you understand these two concepts why aren't you able to do this and it's just that constant like beating down of just like bro lift up man go outside and go look at the flowers for a second and then come back and play and just let it be but and that's me talking now and telling myself that but again easier said than done because when i'm in the heat of battle working with the shakuhachi sometimes I don't feel like we're, we're working together. Sometimes I feel like we're at each other's throats trying to, you know, do different things. And that's just, you know, experience communication error between me and the instrument.
0: I was talking a, a few weeks back with Dr. Jennifer Higdon, another composer, Pulitzer Prize winning composer. And she famously was a late bloomer, You know, not starting her musical education until she was 18. And then of course she just blossomed. But I think just like with you finding the shakuhachi later in life it comes down to persistence it comes down to a passion like it it is what you're meant to do and sure you may like beat yourself up about certain things sometimes and you may have a bad well quote unquote bad practice session but it, it's about um you know it's it's just the important thing is you found you found your passion and you no know, time's going to pass anyway you know and just do what you got to do you know
1: I think the biggest thing is, it's like, it's, and this is like my big thing about being a teacher is that like, is what I'm teaching, like, right? And like, what is right? Because I, I wonder that too, like when I was like teaching Mozart, I'm like, I don't know if this is right. Like, what what does it even mean? Like, I hear these recordings and you know, another person will say, oh, that's that's how we used to play it in the 70s. am like, what does that mean? It means how we played. Like, has everything, do you hold the bow differently <laughs> than, than before or? Like, you shape the phrases differently. Like, and, and so I'm thinking, like, look at this music, like, going I teach a student, like, oh, I, I do it this way. Why do I do it this way? Is that right? What is right? I mean, and at some point, like, what I'm noticing more and more, like, as daily comes, as, as the days pass and as I play Shagachi more, the more and more I don't care what right is. Because what I view right as is, did I express myself? Did What was I What was I thinking about or what was I not thinking about or how did I feel at that moment? Did I take the energy that was around me at that moment and did I express it properly? No? Well, that's wrong. But I played all the notes right. No, it's wrong. And that's me telling myself, it doesn't matter if you played everything perfectly in tune and everything was great. If you didn't control your energy properly and put that into the, and, and make a sincere performance, it's wrong because you weren't being honest to yourself. And so that's that's like my message for my students is like, you know, we can, we can sit all day and talk about how this is how they played it back 400 years ago. But what I just noticed, is I just don't care. Like that's, it's great. And that's a cool practice. It's a great way to experience things. And I think it's cool to know it. And I think it's important, but as for me expressing myself, the guy who lived 400 years ago, who thought it was cool to do that probably did the same thing that I was doing, which is like, I'm gonna play it this way. Cause it's how I feel. And then stuck cause he liked it. And the other people said, well, I guess that's traditional, but, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. I can't verify it, but I just want to play and just express myself the best I can. And that's what I hope to do.
0: And wasn't it Beethoven that said something like playing the right notes without passion is inexcusable or something of that nature.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Cause it's Mm -hmm. not music.
0: Yeah, You could have all the right notes. and, And if you're just, if you're just like a robot about it, like there's no, there's no point.
1: And I have to, I just, I have to thank my teacher, Michael Chikuzin Gold. is just, he's been like that, that driving force of just energy and inspiration, you know, and he, he always has the right quote, he always has the right words. And he's a, he's a true pedagogue and just a brilliant teacher. And I, I, I got so much from him and I still, you know, meet with him often just to talk and, and, uh, it's always enlightening. And one of the things that we've recently been talking about, and I think he's mentioned to me like four or five times now is that. One of his teachers like one of the greatest shakachi players that ever lived um uh, katsuya yokoyama one thing that he used to say my teacher has now said this to me i think probably like 15 times music is what you put into it that's it no more no less if the performance is boring it means you're boring if the performance is exciting it means you're exciting and my teacher using that quote with me is like is perfect it's exactly the answer i need every single time i'm feeling about something and i need to like write that on like every wall and post-its and just put it there and there's like, music is what you put into it that's it i mean i think that's I mean, we can sit and talk technique and pitch and all that kind of thing all day but i think it's more about that what you put into it in one of his interviews with a uh, yokoyama on uh i have it actually somewhere on my on my computer where he um he talks about like the most inspired performance he ever heard which was just some guy playing a uh, a rendition of like a, a not so interesting piece but it was played so sincerely and he's like that's the best performance of shakachi i've ever heard in my life just the old guy sitting at us in like at the in the back part of the shop that he owns just tooting away in shakachi but he just loves it so much that's that's Shakachi as he put everything into it
0: that reminds me of back when i used to play cello that I loved playing scales. And I know as a classical musician, you probably don't hear too many people say, I really love to play scales, but I just loved the sound of the cello and the instrument so much that even scales were just beautiful. And and it really is. A, and like you said, it's about what you put into it. And I think that can be applied to so much, to life even, not just the arts, uh, but to life, you know, life is what, you put into it. And I think you get back from the universe, what you put into it.
1: I guess where I want to leave this is um, one of the, one of the books that I've read that uh, really inspired me to view music differently was actually the book uh, Zorba the Greek. And in the book Zorba the Greek, he, um, he is like the most, he, you know, the commercial where he's like, he's the most interesting man in the world that is Zorba the Greek He's by far the most interesting person and the wisest person ever. It's, it's fascinating to to read that book, Mm -hmm. but he plays an instrument called the Surtaki, I think it's called. It's been a while since I've read it, but he like, he doesn't have any, like the guy doesn't have any money, but the way he taught, like he's just a wandering, like coal miner like something like that, but he's this free spirit guy. And when he talks about playing the music, that's, that's it. Like it's everything in there. It's just the realities of life, human existence, love, freedom questions that are unanswered that have maybe they don't have an answer but the i think like the thing that what inspires me the most about oh it's the santuri that's what it is santuri is the instrument he plays but i think here's the the thing about zorba is that he accepts the world as it is both natural and in human world and he, the way he talks about have like like how he learned the instrument, and learning to play it and what it's like to him. It's it's so cool. It's that passion and like, like true passion and love for something that you get to experience with reading the book. So for those who have never read that book, I would say you know, read Zorba the Greek. It is one of the and also the language is is Victorian English. So it's very colorful and you know it's so moving. And I I want to be like, I want, I bet Zorba the Greek's music, if you, when you listen to it, hits you right to the soul. Like, you know, it's a punch to the gut with a warm hug. It's everything that you need in a a performance. And that's what I want to be like that when I play music. I want to be like Zorba the Greek.
0: And I think that's a fantastic sentiment to end on. Um, But before we go, do you have any web resources or book resources to recommend to someone interested in starting to learn the shakuhachi
1: uh yes so i I have my own channel on youtube um but there's there's a lot of channels on online and there's a lot of people's websites uh that you can go to that are um really great resources for learning about the shakuhachi so my personal channel is renzo flutes on youtube um and then um gosh where to start with with those sort of resources i mean that that's when i'd have to like compile a list of of people uh, the first, uh, that's a hard answer. Yeah. There's so many, there's too many. And the, in in the scholarly, scholarly research world, it's, it's much different. And I'm not a part of that world, but there, there's a lot of resources online that you could dig into for the rest of your life when it comes to that. But as just starting with shakuhachi and you're wanting to learn how to play, I would say just take to YouTube, type in shakuhachi and just listen.
0: Sounds good. And can you tell me again, where can readers connect to you via social media?
1: Uh, so I have my Facebook page, which is Sean Heads Music. And then also uh, on YouTube, they can reach reach me there through comments and on the uh, community board.
0: Excellent. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining on Creative Pismo Podcast. This was definitely a very special, special episode, I think, for me personally, because of, you know, the topics that we discussed and, you know, the cultural, the cultural aspects of that. And it has been an absolute delight having you on the show.
1: Well, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to be here and, uh, you know, work out my ideas and try to figure out what I'm doing, but I, I just, I just love, I love being here and, uh, you know, I keep up the great work with all the interviews. I, I love everything you're doing as well.
0: Thank you so much. And listeners, you can again, check the show notes for sh- links to Sean's websites and videos and YouTubes. And of course, don't forget to click and subscribe to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. Thanks and take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for Creative Piecemeal Podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.